0: Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you're listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, there was a preaching professor at Harvard University. And they tell the story of his five-year-old son who was working on an art project in his kindergarten class. It was a project made of plaster. It resembled, well, nothing in particular, but with some paint, some sparkle, some time, and a kiln, it was ready to be wrapped as a gift. The little boy wrapped it himself and was beside himself with excitement. It would be a gift for his father, three months in the making early in december when the child could hardly contain the secret anymore the last day of school finally came all the parents arrived for the big christmas play and when the students left for home they were finally allowed to take their ceramic presents with them back home the professor's son secured his gift ran toward his parents and then he tripped And he fell to the floor. The gift went airborne, and when it landed on the cafeteria floor, the shattering sound stopped all conversations. It was perfectly quiet for a moment, as all involved considered the magnitude of the loss. For a five-year-old, there had never been a more expensive gift He crumpled down on the floor next to his broken gift and just started crying. Both parents rushed to their son, but the father was uncomfortable with the moment, didn't know what to do. People were watching. His son was crying, and so he patted the boy on the head and said, Son, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. Well, his wife glared at him in that moment, this preaching professor. Oh, yes, it does matter, she said to both of her men. Yes, it does matter. She cradled her son in her arms, rocked him back and forth, and cried with him. In a few moments, the crying ceased. Now, said the mother, let's go home and see what can be made with what's left. And so so with mother's magic and a glue gun, they put together from the broken pieces a multicolored butterfly amazingly the artwork after the tragedy was actually much more beautiful than it had been in a pre-broken state at christmas the gift was finally given and as long as he taught at harvard the professor kept the butterfly on his desk it was a constant reminder that grief is real that loss hurts and it was also a reminder that from great loss from from great loss great beauty can eventually emerge well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and our theme for this week is peace. And we've read from Isaiah 9-6 over the last several weeks about uh, the Messiah and his different titles, and Isaiah 9-6 does tell us that the Messiah will be called the Prince of Peace. Peace is his jurisdiction. He specializes in bringing order and wonder from the chaos and frustrations of life. And it is my prayer that you would know the peace of Christ this holiday season, that you would experience genuine wholeness that is found only in Jesus. Now, some of you may feel like peace is a far off promise that Jesus has purchased for all who believe in him, a peace that is far greater than anything we can produce here on earth. He offers a peace that can be lived in, even in the midst of storms of life. And you might feel like that's far off, but it's the reality. That's what Jesus offers to us. And so today I invite you to rest in the peace of Christ and to rest in the peace of Jesus. You have to be willing to set aside the shadows of peace, the shadows of forgiveness, and the shadows of goodness that this world tries to offer us. Left to our own devices, when we're all by ourselves, we produce mere imitations of the real thing. Do not settle for anything less than the true peace of Christ. That peace comes through the gift of himself for us and his grace. Our text today comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. It's not an easy text. In fact, it's quite a tongue twister to read. In it, we'll find the contrast between the law of the Old Testament, the system of sacrifices that the priests were to offer on behalf of the people, and we find that contrasted against Jesus. And He is the perfect sacrifice once and for all. So there's much going on in the text, but I invite you to hear that contrast between that which is a shadow of forgiveness, grace, and peace, and Jesus, who is forgiveness, grace, and peace. Let's read the text in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The law as we're told here in Hebrews, is a shadow, a poor reflection of the reality of Jesus. It points to Jesus, no doubt about that, but it's a shadow of the reality of Jesus. The priests of Israel were to offer sacrifices to cleanse the sins of Israel every year. Our text tells us that these sacrifices were ineffective. They could not alleviate Israel of their consciousness of sin. It could not alleviate Israel of their guilt. Jesus' sacrifice, on the other hand, is once and for all. It is complete. So, what does this have to do with Christmas? Because it doesn't really sound like the story of shepherds or angels or wise men or a baby in a manger. But the advent of Jesus, his arrival, marks the arrival of what all the Old Testament had been pointing to, the Messiah, the one who brings true forgiveness to the world. Christmas is not about having to live with poor shadows and imitations of forgiveness, grace, and peace. Instead, Christmas is about living with the real thing, finally. And as I read Hebrews 10, I am struck by the function of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. In Hebrews, we're told that the constant need for sacrifices served to remind us of our sins every year. It's there in verse 3. With all the offering of animals and blood and ritual that happened and expense that went into the sacrifices, everybody was acutely conscious of their sin. And this is no way to live. At least you can't do this forever. The good news of Jesus is that you can live forgiven and set free from the weight of sin. But you know what? I find that I am not all that good at living in such freedom. I'm still conscious of my sin. The text tells us that the Old Testament sacrifices kept everybody conscious of their sin, and that was a sign that it wasn't right or wasn't perfect wasn't the true forgiveness. But, you know, I'm still conscious of it today, and so I I wonder what's going on. I I still deal with the consequences of my sin. I still live in a world that is touched by sin. Every time I face disappointment, selfishness, heartbreak, tiredness, I am experiencing the touch of sin. And perhaps you're sitting here listening to this message all too aware of your past. You're all too aware of pain that you're feeling. You're all too aware of the fallen world that you are in The presence of conflict in your life is sapping your hope and the power of forgiveness. But I see in Hebrews chapter 10 a call for us to place our trust in Jesus instead of letting the flawed voices of this world speak to us about forgiveness, redemption, and peace. That's the contrast here. We can trust Jesus. Or we can trust the voices of this world. And that's why I mean I struggle with my own uh, consciousness of sin. It's because I kind of listen to my own voice. And I think you listen to your own voice. We all listen to that voice in ways that we shouldn't. This I know to be true. Human effort alone can never bring redemption. Human effort alone can never restore relationship with God or with others. Human effort alone twists awareness of sin into unhealthy guilt that debilitates us. Christmas brings the good news that Jesus has stepped in where our efforts have fallen short. Grace and redemption are offered to each of us. If you're like me, you'd rather not be conscious of your sin. You'd rather, uh, you'd rather forget about it. And not feel its bite any longer. And I think the key here is not remembering sin, but recognizing what authority you're giving your remembrance of sin. Because you can give it the authority to doubt your worth, or you can give that remembrance the authority to treasure how much Jesus values you. There's a difference there. When you remember sin, You can give it to the authority, or you can give yourself the authority to doubt your worth. Or when you remember your sin, you can give yourself the authority to treasure how much Jesus values you. Do not let guilt continuously condemn you. Let it drive you to the grace of Jesus. I want to talk about guilt for a few moments. Because this passage in Hebrews tells us that the flawed, the shadow sacrifices in in the Old Testament, the shadows of what was to come, they constantly reminded the people of guilt. And so, we need to think about guilt. Guilt is a powerful emotion. Guilt over one moment, one decision can change the direction of your entire life. Sometimes for the good and sometimes for the worse. Irma Bombek says this, guilt, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Do you have something in your life that you have felt guilty about? And it never goes away. Most of us wish it was a gift that would go away. Peter McWilliams says this, guilt is anger directed at ourselves. I think that's a good place to start. Edward Welch says this, Guilt is an excellent warning light that says something is wrong. Yet when it persists too long, it provides fuel for Satan's lies and strangulates spiritual growth. Hmm. Our text today contrasts the sacrifices of the Old Testament that could not alleviate people of their consciousness of sin, and today... Our world is yeah, not really offering the blood of bulls and goats. Most people are not offering sacrifices to God, but our society is obsessed with guilt and trying to find relief from guilt. Our culture tries to manipulate through guilt. It's letting that guilt warning light persist too long. Our culture sells all kind of sol- kinds of solutions to guilt. The problem is, is no matter how well-meaning the solutions are, because we have all kinds of solutions that are well-meaning, they can't really make amends. I mean, we have all sorts of solutions offered for the guilt we feel, care for the earth, have pity on the less fortunate make amends for racial across racial divides carry shame long enough apologize enough and and persistently enough and, and authentically enough we have all kinds of solutions but what sometimes our noble efforts are misappropriated into personal sanctification we cannot alleviate ourselves of guilt It's a warning light It's not a solution Guilt can only be cancelled by the one wronged And God is the one that the human race has sinned against Do not let guilt be used as a manipulation against you by this world Or by the enemy Or by you Do not let guilt turn your focus solely on yourself Guilt should drive us to God Not to selfishness Martin Luther, the great reformer, was suffering under the weight of guilt, and he was speaking with his spiritual director, Johann Staupitz, And Johann Staupitz said to Martin Luther, Martin, quit looking at your sin and start looking at Jesus. That's one of the things, when guilt persists in our lives, we tend to focus on the sin. But that won't fix the problem. But when we start looking at Jesus, then we can get to the author of grace. Jerry Bridges says this, we tend to drag up our old sins. We tend to live under a vague sense of guilt. We are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as he is as in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Christ, we tend to live under the overcast guilt overcast sky of guilt. Most of the time, ah, I like the part there, we are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as He is in extending it. Are you feeling guilty? Look for forgiveness. Don't hesitate. Max Lucado says this, When he says we're forgiven, let's unload the guilt. When he says we're valuable, let's believe him. When he says we're provided for, let's stop worrying. God's efforts are strongest when our efforts are useless. Mm. I cannot promise you, you you'll completely forget your sin, but you can change what authority you give to your guilt. If you are a Christian, do not listen to guilt's condemnation. Instead, revel in the grace of Jesus and how precious he sees you to be. You are set free and you are under the rule now of the Prince of Peace. And so we've talked about guilt for a while. Now I want to talk about grace for a while because grace is so important. Grace is Jesus's gift to us that purchases us and welcomes us into the kingdom of peace. This Christmas, I invite you to exit guilt and enter Jesus's grace. Ephesians two five says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace is about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about being worthless, it's not about being condemned forever, but but grace is about what Jesus has done for us. Brendan Manning says this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. That's grace. John Stott says this, faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. Here's a story that can help us understand grace. Millions of golfers know the name of Harvey Penick. His first book, Harvey Penick's Little Red Book, became a surprising bestseller, selling more than one million copies in 1992. Quickly earning the title of the best-selling sports book of all time. But by the time Pennick even showed his notes, the genesis for his book, to a local writer, he was nearly 90 years old. Pennick wanted to know if the book was worth publishing. The writer read it and told him he liked the book. In fact, by the next evening, the same man left word with Pennick's wife that Simon and Schuster had agreed to an advance of $90,000. When the writer saw Pennick later, the old man seemed troubled. Finally, Pennick came clean. With all of his medical bills, he said, there's no way he could advance Simon & Schuster that much money. It took a while, but finally the writer convinced Pettick that the publisher would pay him the $90,000, not the other way around. What a joy it is to realize that instead of needing to pay God an insurmountable bill for sins already committed, God has decided to give us the priceless gift of grace. Our sins are already paid for in full. Grace is a gift, a true gift of forgiveness that lifts us up out of our sins and into, and into true life and into true peace. Jared Wilson says this, grace is not simply about pardoning sinful behavior, but it's also about rewriting the sinners themselves. The grace the Bible talks about is power, not just for justification, but also for transformation. It's a continuing work in our lives. And the letter to the Hebrews is contrasting the shadow picture of grace that's found in the law of the Old Testament with Jesus. So, we are to spot shadows of grace in our world, counterfeit graces in our world, and counterfeit grace usually finds itself in a guilt that we are left to fix on our own. If you have a guilt that you think you have to fix, or someone is sharing with you a guilt that you feel bad about that you think you have to fix, that's not healthy guilt. Because we cannot fix guilt on our own. Our own efforts can never produce forgiveness and peace. True forgiveness and peace are found in Jesus Christ alone. I started this message with the story of a little boy dropping his gift that he was going to give to his father for Christmas. And I love the message of the story. It does matter. And something better is made from the broken pieces and you matter to God. He can build something beautiful from the broken pieces that you are struggling with in your life. Wherever you find yourself right now, I would invite you to radically trust in the grace of Christ. Trust His grace for forgiveness. Trust His grace for life. Trust it for healing. Trust it for peace. Romans chapter five, verses one and two says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Will you know that this Christmas? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us of all the times that we try to put our trust in our own ability to make things right. We can never make proper amends for our sins, though we might try. Help us, Lord, to trust the grace of Jesus completely. Lord, help us to let that grace continually work out in our lives, bringing about your will and your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.